0: Good morning, Christ Central. It's yes, an honor to be standing with you all today. I'm Tamika Ingram, one of the deaconesses here at Christ Central. And our scripture reading will come from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14 in Then Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray one was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. "I thank you, God, that I am not like other people cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my tithe of my income." Both the tax collector, but the tax collector stood at a distance. And dared not even lift his eyes to even as heaven prayed, as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisees, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Hi, my name is David Zimmerman. I am a ruling elder here at Christ Central. You may know me from such events as teaching your children, or maybe from our community group. Uh, you might also know me from some like a men's ministry or something like that, or from hiding in a corner. Um, Hi, it's so glad to be here and serve you this morning in in my capacity as a ruling elder and share God's word with you. So, uh, I'm glad you're here. You know, I hope your trip in this morning was was easy because I don't know about you, but I get really frustrated with traffic around town, you know? I mean, the aggressive speeders lately, uh, people passing on the shoulder, ooh, gets me so worked up that Susan has had to give me a mantra to say to calm my road rage. So whenever I see someone just zip past me on 77 going 100 miles per hour, I say to myself, well, they must need to use the restroom. (laughs) You know, I have this theory on why traffic around Charlotte is so bad. It really revolves around the idea that nobody's really from Charlotte, right? What happened is, we brought all these people from all over the country, all over the world, and we got all these different, like, regional, unwritten rules on how to drive. And we put all this together in a mishmash of polite southern driving, it becomes a chaotic mess. For instance, have you ever heard of the Pittsburgh left? So I had to run this by a friend of mine from Pittsburgh, and she confirmed it. She said, yeah, you're right. I I never really knew that's true, but you're right. That's how we do it. So apparently in Pittsburgh, if you're the first car in the left turn lane and the light turns green, everybody waits for the first car in the left turn to go. And then everybody proceeds to the intersection. My first exposure to the Pittsburgh left was on South Tryon Street. When I was sitting at the intersection, and because the light turned green and I've driven around Charlotte enough to know that, in Charlotte, green means wait and look for cars because they're gonna still go, right? Where I grew up in the Midwest, green means go, right? Not here, we know we can't do that or we will get T-boned. So I'm paused, and somebody with a Pittsburgh Steelers sticker on the back of their car turns left right in front of me, what? What's wrong with them? What is going on? I mean, what is their problem that they would do something like that? Well, back in Jesus' day, they weren't drivers. They might be tax collectors. Now, I hate to remind you, but we have like 40 days before we've had to file our taxes, right? I got a meeting this week to do this. It's always fun. And, you know, there's all kinds of things we can complain about taxes, right? You can say, oh, the IRS, what a mess, you know, oh, you know we're going to reform that. Or, or you might say, oh, you know, it's just unjust how we do sales tax and how sales tax just unfairly uh, targets people of lower income. There's all kinds of criticisms we could make to our tax system, for sure. But let us think our lucky stars, we don't live in Palestine in Jesus' day this is how the tax system worked in Jesus' day. You know, the Romans, they got expenses. They have to pay the bills. They got soldiers to pay. They got a palace to upkeep, you know. They got parties to throw, you know, whatever the Romans did with the tax money. They got to pay the bills. So what they did is they hired a tax collector. And this tax collector's job was to go and say, okay, tax, tax please. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I need, need some taxes. Give, you, know, you know, thank you, thank you. you got to get some taxes. The problem was the tax collector didn't get a salary. So what happened was, you know, he's at home and he realizes his kids need braces. So he's going to come back and say, hey, I need some tax money. And then the kids got to pay for good school. So give me some more tax. He got paid basically on whatever he collected on top of what he owed. So you can imagine what a corrupt system this might be, right? He is financially incentivized to take more money. And as if that's not bad enough, who do you think is the easiest people for him to collect money from, right? It's probably not the rich, powerful people. They're gonna be like, psh, I've already paid you, hit the road. It's probably the people who can least afford it, right? They're the ones who can't fight back. So he's probably going to their house more than once. Oh, by the way, I didn't tell you, like he gets to bring Roman soldiers with him to help collect taxes. This guy, this tax collector, I mean, what's wrong with him? But, but it's, it's actually worse than that. Because remember who he's working for. He's working for the Romans. They're not in Rome. They're in Palestine. What are the Romans doing there? Well, they're bringing Pax Romana. They're bringing their peace into Palestine. Isn't it so generous of them? Like, wow, thank you, this, the Romans are bringing their civilization to this backwater Palestine, and they're bringing all their foreign pagan gods, their strange moral ideas. And this tax collector, he saw an opportunity to sell out his friends, his family, his neighbors, to give them a buck. What's wrong with him? There, there's another person in this story. Today, though. There's a Pharisee. Now, Pharisee is kind of a, a way of describing a, a person who's a member of a particular group. It's not necessarily like a denomination or, or a political party, but it's kind of an organization of people who really took very seriously their dedication to God's law and what God said they should be doing. So when he says, hey, I'm no cheater. I'm, I'm no sinner. I'm, I'm not an adulterer. Yeah. His focus of his life is to obey God's law. But, but he's better than that because he doesn't just do what he's not, doesn't do what he's not supposed to do. He also does all the things he should do. Right? He fasts twice a week. Well, that's better than me. But he also tithes. So with his tax collectors going around taking money, he's giving it away. I mean, thank God he's not like that tax collector. You know, he's right. Thank God he's not like that tax collector. thing is, we do this today. We find them that are the problem. And we, 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 we want to focus on them and, and that they're the problem. You know, maybe, maybe it's as simple as driving around and those, those drivers, they're the problem. You know... Maybe, maybe them are in church. You know, sometimes we go to church, and we're like, hey, this is great. And then somebody says something or someone does something, we're like, oh, I'm I'm done. I'm done with that church. I'm moving on to the next. And then we go there for a while, and we, we, we're happy with what's going on, until then someone there does something. And... I I just, that's the line. I'm drawing that line. They're the problem. They're what's causing the church to go, and they go into the next church, and they go to the next church, and the next church, and next thing you know, they're alone because of of them. You know, that wasn't what I was going to (laughs) say. But I, I get ahead of myself. You know, we do this too in politics. Like right now, our world is just so divided. Because the world is, there's all kinds of these these ideas going out politically, and no matter where you find yourself in the political spectrum, it's really easy to, to say, what is wrong with them? What is their problem? How do you see them, and who are your them? That's the problem. You know... I think, like I said, I got ahead of myself a little bit. Before, Jesus is telling this story about two people, a Pharisee and a tax collector. But we skipped the beginning. We skipped verse 9, because I I think we should go back and review that for a second, because that is telling us why Jesus is telling us about these two people. So if we look at verse 9, we can see that Jesus tells us exactly why he's telling us this story. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. What? What? Oh. S- sorry. I, I think what Jesus is trying to say is that when we created them, we are the problem. The thing is, The Pharisee was the one doing this. But he was right. He wasn't the one doing the wrong. He was doing all the right things. He was the one that was in the right. He wasn't like that sinner, the tax collector. But notice something in how the Pharisee goes up to the temple to pray that day in verse 11. The Pharisee, it says, stood by himself. See, that's what happens when we focus on them and become too confident in our own righteousness and start to scorn those around us. We create them. And as we create more thems, pretty soon we find ourselves with less people around us. And here we are alone in our own self-righteousness. You know, I I do this a lot. I I, I go to a lot of conferences as part of uh, helping promote my small business. And when I go to these conferences, I have to admit that I go to these conferences, and I cannot listen to another speaker talking about what I do for a living. I can't stand it. It so bugs me. Uh, there's a problem in, in my, my industry where there's just a lot of people who are happy to sell a service and take advantage of people, and it just bugs me so much. I just get infuriated. So whenever I hear someone at one of these conferences going to speak on the topic of what I do, I find myself just pulling out my phone and kind of hiding in the corner, or I will go hang out with some friends and not really do what I'm supposed to do at the conference, which is to network and make new contacts and grow my business, I'm hiding in the corner. What I'm doing is in my own professional self-righteousness, I'm cutting myself off from those around me. Another place that I think we do this is is kind of this whole Christian thing, right? We become so proud of what we know about who God is that we we find ourselves shifting from church to church because they got it wrong, now they got it wrong, now they got it wrong, and now we're all alone. I want to ask ourselves a tough question this morning. Are we going to do this to our new pastor? The, I'm going to premise this. I love Howard. I miss Howard. Howard's an important part of, of, of my healing from past hurts. He, he challenged me in ways I didn't even know I needed to be challenged. Like I thank God for how God used Howard in my life. But I do know something, as our PST search is really hard for the next pastor, it's not going to be Howard, right? It's going to be, the new pastor is going to be great, right? They're going to find someone for us, it's going to be great, we're going to be excited. There are some things this new pastor's going to do that are going to be better than Howard. Can you imagine that? Gonna, he's going to do some things better than Howard. And he might do some things not as well as Howard. You know, we as a church, we kind of have the Christ-Central way. I was explaining to some guests today how we have, you know, Christ-Central time, right? We know you're a guest when you show up early because no one shows up early, right? <laughs> this, is, this is the way we do things here. And there's other things we do at Christ-Central that make it Christ-Central. Are we going to be so confident in our Christ-Central righteousness that when the new pastor comes... And he says, you know what, I'd like to do this. We're going to cut him off. Is he going to come in and say, hey, you know what, let's paint this white. And and we're going to be like, no, it has to be black. That we're so confident in the way Christ Central does things that we're going to cut him and his family off. The fact is, being a new pastor at a new church is like walking through a landmine field." You know, every step. Okay, we're okay. Yeah. Are we going to take another step? Boom! Yeah, that's, that's what it's like to be the new pastor. He is going to step on one of the sacred cows of our church. Are we going to isolate ourselves from them? Are we going to isolate him and his family? Because how dare you cross our Christ-central self-righteousness? You know, I, another way we do this, I think, is politics. We, there's, like I said, there's so many uh, uh, divisiveness around about politics right now. I used to love to talk politics. It's hard to do that anymore because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. The problem, I think, is, is the, what's happening is that we, we divide ourselves up more and more. Well, they've crossed this line, so they're out. Well, they've crossed this line, so they're out. So they've crossed this line, so they're out, and they're all alone. You know, is this why people get so politically radicalized? and so desperate that they take violent action because they've been so cut off that they feel they've gotten no hope and nothing they can do or or nothing they can lose. This is the danger of this kind of being confident in our own self-righteousness that we scorn those around us And we end up like this Pharisee, cutting them off. How do you build your self-righteousness? One way to know is in the way you cut other people away from you. Because it's a lot easier to cut them off to maintain your own self-righteousness than it is to engage Well, two men went up to the temple to pray that day. And in in verse 14, we learn that only one was justified before God. It was not the one who prayed by himself, the one who was justified before God that day was the sinner, the despised tax collector. The one who stayed far off and couldn't even look up—he was so ashamed. The scripture tells us here that this man was justified that day. What does it mean that he was justified? Well, maybe you've heard this little saying in the church sometimes that you know justified means just as if I'd never sinned. Have you heard that before? You know, in, yeah, sort of. Like, there's some truth to that. I mean, there is an aspect of justification that involves being forgiven. But it's, there's so much more when Jesus says this man was justified then. Hey, he's forgiven. Because justified is a legal term. It's a technical term. And Jesus is saying not just that this, this sinner was forgiven. He's saying that this sinner was declared right. Wait. Is Jesus saying that this guy who's going around taking little oxter off the top, selling out his friends and family for a buck, he's right? What? How, how can that be? You know, okay, maybe, maybe this tax collector justified himself. Maybe he said, hey, Lord, you know, got to pay the bills. You know, I went to the job fair that week, and that's the only offer I got. So, hey, sorry, I had no choice, Lord. Is that what the tax collector said? No. He says, God. Have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe he maybe he's justified because he promised to do better. Hey Lord, you know, I know I shouldn't have been doing that, but but hey, I, I promise. From now on, no more extra. I promise. It's not gonna happen. Maybe, maybe that's why he's justified. No, he didn't say that. He simply says, God, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. The tax collector had no reason to be justified except by God's mercy. He brought nothing but his own humility. Because that's all he had. He was not doing it right. He was doing it wrong. He had no reason to be called justified before God that day. You see, we're the problem when we exalt ourselves having confidence in our own righteousness. You know, how how do you... Do this, you know. (laughs) Even it doesn't have to be an anonymous, vague concept of them that we are confident in our own righteousness with. For instance, um, I'm a good cook. I, 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 my first job in high school, I was working fast food. You know, Taco Tico great stuff. Okay, that's, that's not really cooking. But when I was in college, I lived in a hall of 50 guys at the University of Kansas. And every week, once a week, for four years, I cooked dinner for 50 guys I had to live with. You want to learn to be a good cook, live and cook for 50 college college-aged men. Like, you got to go to sleep that night. If you burnt their dinner, you got to sleep with one eye open. like, you learn to be a pretty good cook doing that. Even one summer in college, I, I worked at a truck stop. Slinging hash, chopping potatoes. I can still make you any kind of egg that you would want. Right? Hi. OK. Yeah, that's it. I'm a good cook. So when Susan and I got married, you know, I, I, I enjoy cooking. So I, I do a lot of the cooking at our house. But, you know, every once in a while, I'm, I'm not in the mood to cook. Or, you know, maybe I've got something and I'm coming late and I can't cook. Or, or frankly, maybe Susan just wants to cook. And so when she's cooking, I, I like to help by telling her what she's doing wrong. Don't hold the knife that way. Don't use the food processor. Don't chop that all the stuff yourself. No, you can't take the chicken right out of the oven, put it in the fridge. We're all going to get sick. Like, I'm so helpful (laughs) that Susan invites me to go somewhere else. I am confident in my cooking righteousness. But no matter how big of a brouhaha we might have because of my helpfulness in the kitchen. You know, it's nice just to sit down with Susan at the end of, after cooking, and we'll, we'll have the plates in front of us, and Susan will look up to me from across the table and say, you know, David, you're right. I shouldn't have done that with a knife. I should have done it with the food processor. That would have been much easier. Oh, it feels so good. It feels so good when I get told that I'm right. Because that's what we're doing when we're confident in our own righteousness. We're really just seeking approval and acceptance from others. That's why we want it. We want to live in a world where people have to love us because we do it right. But when we are confident in our own righteousness over them, we're the problem. Is there a solution? Now, I got to say, when we look at this passage, if this is the end of Jesus' story, it falls a little flat. Because he ends, it almost sounds like the moral of the story here in verse 14 is so so we should be humble. Be humble, and then you won't be looking down on others for your self-righteousness. If that's what Jesus is saying here, won't we warp that to just be like, well, at least I'm humble even though they're not. Right? Now, we don't usually say it that way, but we will say, they're being so arrogant, I can't even deal with them. Okay, so aren't we just being like the Pharisee again, but with like a new rule? Be humble. So, if that's the moral of this story, then, boy, that's disappointing. Or maybe, maybe this story is about another sinner who got off scot-free for saying, oops, sorry. I mean, what about all the people he's hurt? What about all the things that he did against his people, his community? What about the way he even turned his back on God to even consider doing this? Where's the justice in that? That this tax collector just has to go, oops, sorry. And now he's in the clear. Is that what this story is saying? No. Because this is not the end of Jesus' story. Jesus' story, we're in Lent right now, right? We're preparing for the end of Jesus' story. A story that ends with his crucifixion and his resurrection. That is the end of this story. And that makes all the difference here. You see, if we were to read on into Romans, we would hear Paul help, uh, help explain what Christ's death and resurrection means for us as it relates to our righteousness. Paul in Romans would say that we are not justified before God because of works of the law. We are justified before God because we have faith in what Christ has done for us. That's where justification comes from. He died for our sins. That means the penalty has been paid. So the story of this tax collector is not one of some other person saying, oh, sorry, and and walking away without any consequence. There were consequences to his sin. Jesus took them. Justice was served for what he did wrong. That is the continuation of Jesus' story. But it's better than that. Because remember, justification is not just about being forgiven. It's about being declared righteous. Martin Luther, he calls it an alien righteousness. This is the idea that Jesus was the only one to actually live righteously. If there was ever anyone who truly could say, I have done it all right and I can look down on you, it's Jesus. But when we believe in Jesus, we are justified by that faith. We are forgiven because he paid the penalty, but we get credit for all the right things he did too. This is called the imputation of Christ's righteousness. This is what happens when we believe. We get forgiveness and we get justified in terms of we get declared righteous before God because of what Christ has done. And if this is how we are justified, if this is how we are finally accepted by God, that means what we've been seeking this whole time by building up our own self-righteousness has already been given to us. We no longer have to try to earn acceptance anymore. Jesus has secured it for us. Here's another way way of thinking about it. When we build up our own self-righteousness, we end up blackmailing God into loving us. And isn't that really what we want? We want to be able to say, hey, God, you have to love us because of what I've done. I've done it all right. I'm not a sinner. I'm not a cheater. I'm not an adulterer like that guy over there. You have to love me. The message of the cross is we don't have to blackmail God into loving us. It's even better than that. Or maybe it's even worse than that. Because sometimes when we find ourselves building up our own self-righteousness, maybe we're saying to Jesus, Hey, thanks and all, but I want to be loved on my terms. Or, (laughs) Jesus, I don't need you. People love me because I'm right. But that's not how God accepts us. You do not have to prove it. You can rest in the confidence that you are loved and accepted, not by what you have done, but because what you believe in what Christ has done for you. Now, i gonna make a side note here, and other members of the session have warned me, don't do a side note because that's where we get in trouble. But this side note's in my notes, Josh, so don't worry. Um, some, some people here today, you say, you know, that's, that's great. But I look at the mess I've made of my life, and I can't think of a way that I would ever be confident in any righteousness that I might have. And, and maybe you find yourself staying far back. Maybe you find yourself this morning unable to look up to the heavens because you are just find yourself without any reason for God to love you. And I get that. I've been there. When I first started coming to Christ Central, I was terrified any of you would get to know me. I was really scared. And so the worst part of the service was always, let's all stand up and let's say hi to everybody. I'd sit in the corner there, right, and hope nobody would talk to me. Because I've been there. I know some of you are there too. I got good news for you, though. You don't have to find a reason for God to accept you. You do not need to become a Pharisee to prove that God has to love you. He's done it in Christ. That's the good news. And that's why I asked Tamika to read the passage because she was my sister back there going, you know, being with me while I was hiding. So if, if this is how we are justified, how can we not be humble? We are forgiven, but we didn't do anything to earn it. We don't deserve it, but we're forgiven. How can we not be humble? How how can we exalt ourselves if this is the truth? We are considered righteous in God's eyes. We are justified because of what Jesus has done for us. So how, how can we exalt each other, ourselves? So if this is how we are truly justified by God, when I'm driving around town, and somebody blows past me at 100. I don't have to justify their bad behavior by excusing them because they need to go to the restroom. I can now, in my humility, admit, oh, you know, I'm not always a great driver either, because I don't always use my directional, and I have a lead foot too. And in humility, I no longer have to build up my driver's righteousness. To prove why I'm acceptable by God. You know, in the church, (laughs) where we are really good at finding things against each other, maybe we can take a a sentence from Augustine, one of my favorite dead dudes, who said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, charity but in all things love. Because we don't have to prove that we are theologically better or more in line or know our Bible better than them. We are accepted not because of that. Jesus does not love you more because you know more of your Bible. He loves you because of what Christ has done for you. So maybe we can extend that grace to each other. Or, or maybe when I'm talking politics, maybe in humility, I could admit there's areas of my life for which I'm frankly blind to, because of my life experience. Or maybe maybe in humility, I can admit my own sins and assumptions about this world affect how I think about politics. And maybe in that humility, I don't have to cut off people who disagree with me politically. Because I don't need to prove to them or myself or God that I'm better because I have a political righteousness. The only reason I'm accepted, the only reason you're accepted, is because of what Jesus has done. You've been justified before God because of what His work. So you too can cry out with the tax collector, God, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. After all, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in some ways, this is a horribly offensive message. We want to rest in our own righteousness and make people love us. Make you love us because of things that we have done. But Lord, thank you for the good news of Jesus, that we are freed from proving ourselves right or better than them than those around us the ones that get it wrong help us to trust in in what you've done for us and apply that to our lives in areas that we cut ourselves off from others around us because we want to prove ourselves better than them this is so hard for us to do you're going to have to do a miracle in our hearts lord to make this happen thanks you thank you lord that that is what you did through christ it's in his name we pray amen